Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor Mondo Luna in a message he's entitled, The Relationship Reward. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount, and then be sure to check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. You guys can be seated. I'm going to keep the piano guy up here, though. He's staying here all night. And I was uh, listening to Pastor Isaac share that offering story. And uh, honestly, I felt like texting my wife and said, I want some bacon and eggs when I get home tonight, man. I... <laughs> so we're, fa- we're doing our 21-day fast right now, and um, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. How many are excited to be in God's house tonight? I'm excited? I was, um, as we came in and, and uh, talking with uh, Pastor Rob and, and just seeing you guys are in revival right now. Seriously, revival. And it doesn't come without a cost. That's the truth. Is any great revival, anything that God does in a supernatural way, anything that God does to to really bring transformation into people's lives and in uh, a movement in any way, there's sacrifice involved. And I want to give uh, a shout out to my pastors. And I know they're not here tonight. Uh, Pastor Omar, Sister Letty, they, they might be watching right now on, on uh, oh, there she is, Sister Letty, she's here, and um, love you guys, really do, Lo- they're, they're my spiritual parents, our spiritual parents, my wife's not here tonight, we have a women's ministry that my wife is leading, so she's there tonight, um, but wanted to just give a shout out to our pastors who just love them deeply, and, and to go back to what I said, revival doesn't come without the cost, without a price that's been paid, and there's been some heavy costs and price that have been paid to get to this point. Now, you may not see it all the time. You may not see it up front or at face value, or you come in, you see the lights, and you hear the worship, and you get to enjoy this beautiful facility, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and for, for revival to happen, it takes a people that are willing, literally, to lay down their lives. Come on. Lay down their lives. Believe God for the greater. Believe God for uh, the best. And your pastors are that. They do that. And that's why I'm standing up here today. Of course, it's God that's changed my life and has touched my family. Of course, it's the Lord that's done all the work and uh, really changed me from who I was and who I am today. It's by the grace of God. But it took a couple to stand in the gap. And, and listen, not just stand in the gap, but had to set the example. That, that's the truth is that when, when you see a couple or you have leaders who go before you and lead out with integrity, and, and if I can say anything about our pastors, they have, when it comes to integrity, they're, they're at the top of the list. And that's why there's revival here. And from there, it trickles down, right? Everything trickles down from leadership. And so it trickles down from there and it flows into the other pastors and assistant pastors, the church plants, and it just flows downhill. And, and that's why we're part of such a great movement and so your, your pastors, and I'm going to do this, and, and, you know, I just feel like this is something that it, anywhere I go and speak, it's always, it's always great to show honor in the house. And I just want to pray for my pastors tonight. Can I do that? And I want you to stretch your hands towards Sister Letty. I know Pastor Omer is probably at home. He's watching online, but I just want to pray for our pastors tonight. 
Pastor, you're watching. I want to say thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to be here tonight to share, minister to this amazing congregation. Thank you, Pastor. I love you. Father, I just pray blessing over my pastors. I pray continuous favor on their life, God, that you would continue to bless them. And Lord, you would continue, Lord, to show them favor. And Lord, you would continue to open new doors of opportunity for this church. And God, give this church an, an amazing reach into the community and even the cities beyond, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray as this revival we are in this revival, God. I pray, God, you would take it to another level. Let the, your spirit, God, just bring about a transformation in people's lives like never before. And so I just pray covering over them. Uh, I pray health over them, Lord. Keep them healthy. Keep them safe, God. I pray that you would set guardian angels to encamp around them day and night. Their families, their children, their grandchildren. Lord, that their legacy be protected always and covered in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering tonight. Is this mine? Is this my water? Okay, great. I know not everybody's bought into the whole COVID thing here, man. So we just, everybody just kind of just whatever, right? So uh, yeah, man, you're going to be here all night. Is that all right? Okay. All right. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. Why don't you turn there? We'll put something on the screen for you too. I, uh, I want to share this, this thought that I had about uh, the relationship reward is what I've entitled it. How many like rewards? Anybody like rewards? Anybody like getting those Christmas bonuses at the end of the year? You get those, right? Or, or those, uh, you, you give rewards to your children for cleaning their room. You ever tell your kid, hey, go clean your room and I'll take you to, you know, uh, in and out or I'll take you and you bribe them with that. Anybody ever done that before? I still can't figure out that thing of, of giving your, your child a reward for cleaning his own mess. I don't understand that, but we do it anyway, right? Go clean your own mess and I'll pay you for that, right? We all like rewards. The problem with rewards is, at least the tangible ones, is that usually it comes from our hand and it goes straight to Amazon, right? It goes straight to online buying, right? It, it goes right through our hands and it's gone. I want to talk about the reward of relationship as it pertains to Christ, because that's the greatest reward, I believe, is a relation, a life that walks in intimacy with God is the best reward. Can I get an amen? As a matter of fact, look at your neighbor and say, if you're walking with Christ, you're blessed. I, you know, I, I threw this quote out on Sunday morning. I said, if you want to have a God-blessed life, you, you have to have a God-first life. Because the real reward in this life is relationship. It's what it all comes down to. You know, as, as a pastor, we, we see and we've been at the bedsides of those that have passed on and have transitioned out of this life to the next. And, and it's always the same thing, man. I, I, I want to be around my family. I, it, it never, never anything in a conversation ever comes up about the things, their material possessions or their houses or their properties or, or their money. It never comes up. It's always my family, my family. I want my family by my side. I, I miss my family. I'm going to miss my family. Why? Because relationship is the best reward. It really is. And what you have here, not only the revival, but there's relationships that are here. Like I said, I've known my pastors for over 30 years. 30 years. They had to deal with me when I was a teenager. I was a headache. So was my wife. My wife more of a headache than me, but we were, we were both troublemakers. But, but relationship is the reward. I want you to think of a couple stories in the Bible first before we get into the text tonight. You know, God gave a word to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, and he said this. He said, listen, I, I see your works. 
and I know your heart and I know that you take a stand for righteousness and you've not kind of bowed down to the culture but he says I have this one thing against you you don't love me like you used to the, the, the relationship is not there like it was before you actually another translation says you've left your first love right so he, he throws a rebuke out to the church even though the church is doing some hard work he says yeah but the, the, the work is just work the relationship is on a whole different level he also throws out a message and I was thinking about the birthing of the church and in the book of Acts, when they come together, God moved and we see the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit fall in the early church and there was community, right? There was people that would come together and they sat to hear the apostles' teachings. They broke bread together. They shared what they had, but there was a strong community. Why? Because the Spirit of God was moving not only in their personal lives, but was moving in the church. There was community there. Now, I know because of the pandemic, social distancing has come into play, right? six feet apart well of course not here but social distancing has come into play but but the reality is this that there were people social distancing way before the pandemic people weren't going to church they were claiming to be christians you know one of the one of the probably the worst statements that i hear is that i love god but i don't like the church that doesn't even make sense because if you love christ and if you have relationship with Christ and there is a walking and connection with Christ, then you're going to love his church. You're going to love the people. As a matter of fact, when, asked, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, listen, he goes to love God with all your heart and listen, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? It's all about relationship. Someone said this at the the, the church is the second body of Christ, meaning that when Christ was on earth, he was in human form and he did all his miracles and he, he touched those that were blind and he, he raised the dead. He did all sorts of miracles, but now he does the miracles through his second body, which is the church. We are the body of Christ and in the body, we need relationship. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you to be my friend. Come on, man. Even if you don't like him right now, he said, I don't really like this person. I said, I'm sitting next to you. Just tell him that anyway. I need you to be my friend. Listen, God desires intimacy with his people. He does. And God, the creator of all of the universe, the God that created everything that you see, the God that has done miraculous things in our lifetime and in your life and in your family and your community, he's the one that says, I want intimacy with you. I want to spend time with you. If God can make the time, I think we could too. But most of the time, it's us. And, and we're so caught up in our busy schedules that we, we miss the reason for why we're doing what we're doing. Relationship. So I'm going to look at a story now, and, and we'll go back to the story in Luke chapter 10. And it's a story between Jesus and the relationship he had with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There is a verse, before we get to that verse, there's another verse in John chapter 11, verse five, that says this, Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. There was a relationship that Jesus had with this family that was unique from all others. He had a special relationship with them, and we'll, we'll see some of the things here in a moment. And I think if we, if we really look at this story, and, and again, I, I've, I've really dissected this thing, and I want you to stay with me tonight because I really believe that to keep the revival, 
It's one thing to step into a blessing. It's another thing to stay there, right? So, so you, you, you climb these mountaintop experiences. And, and again, I know we all have the valleys and we all have the different seasons in our lives, but, but it's one thing to go through there and kind of stay at that level and go from glory to glory to glory. But, but it's another thing to you get there and maintain the, not only the character, but maintain the passion and the drive to stay connected with the Lord. It takes an effort. It really does. You know, as, I was, as we were worshiping here, and by the way, this worship team is incredible. Incredible worship time. Come on. Incredible worship. As we were, as we were worshiping, um, you know, I was there and just lifting my hands and singing, and, and I really felt the Lord impress on my heart that the revival is linked to not what happens here, but what happens before they get here. That Saturday morning prayer meeting you guys have that, I, listen, I remember the Saturday morning prayer meeting back when I got saved. That was 30 years ago. I remember that. That is 30 years of invested prayer. That's not just on Saturday morning. You guys have also the Tuesday, right? The Tuesday, that, that is sowing seed of prayer, continuous prayer. Of course there's going to be a revival. Because, listen, the relationship has outweighed everything else. If we know, this church knows that if we stay connected to the Savior, if we stay in relationship and in fellowship with Him, then revival is, is it's inevitable, it's going to happen. And that's what's happened here. So relationship with Christ is the most important thing in our lives. It really is. So let's look at that here in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 42. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits here? Anybody ever heard that one before? That, that's like common, right? That's everywhere. <laughs> Doesn't it seem unfair? Especially at Thanksgiving time. Everybody's, you got one person who's doing all the cooking, everybody else watching football, waiting for like, I just sit in front of the TV, go, I'm waiting to eat. I have my plate ready and everything's ready and I just want to watch football. And, 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 and Martha's like, hey, hey, Jesus, isn't it seem a little unfair that I'm doing all the work, she's sitting here and, and he, she, she says, Jesus, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken away from her. Now, you, you have to assume here, as you read this story, and you read about this, this kind of this, this picture, this uh, kind of aerial view of the relationship that Jesus had with this family, that he was not just an acquaintance to them. There was, some, there was a real strong connection here with this family, so strong enough that Martha felt she had the liberty to ask Jesus to step into a family affair and correct her sister, which I think, for the most part, if Jesus was here today, uh, there'd be a lot of family members reaching out to say, hey, man, I need you to talk to my husband. I just talked to my wife. She's got some issues, man. He, right? So we, we get it. But there was enough. There were, she was comfortable enough to say, hey, listen, Jesus, can you step in here and rebuke my sister, please? Apparently, she wasn't listening to Martha. So Jesus, she figured, well, Jesus steps in. She'll listen to him. 
And look at verse, let's look at it again. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? But the Lord said here, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there was only one thing. Everybody say one thing. This is the key to the blessed life right here. This is the key to a life of revival. This is the key to living and staying at a life of revival and, 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 and living and walking in fruitfulness and living the blessed life. He says there's only one thing right now that is worth it and she has found it. And that one thing is staying at my feet. It's staying connected to me. It's staying in, in worship and, and, and living a life that is connected with a me first, God first mentality before everything else. Jesus first, everything else after that. Now, please don't misunderstand for one moment. I'm not saying that work isn't important. Work is very important. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Some are like, yeah, that's why I don't work. No, 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 no. Work's important. <laughs> so I'm like, I haven't worked for years. No, you need to get a job, right? So work is important. I'm not saying that. And Jesus wasn't implying that it wasn't important either. He was just saying at this time, at this moment, she's chosen the more important thing. The relationship at this time was more important. And a couple of things I want to throw out here. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I wrote down, and again, I'm just, these are just some thoughts in my mind that I put down on paper and I, I want to share it with you. I, I believe to keep the relationship fresh in our life with Christ, we have to have a balance between the work and the worship. There's got to be a balance. Can I get an amen? One person excited about that. All right. Listen, the work we do should be able to facilitate the worship, but not take the place of it. Because the depth of our worship and intimacy with God should propel the work. So if we're not careful, the work becomes the substitute of the worship. So we can work so hard at something and God can be completely left out of it. And so when you take work and you remove the worship side of it, then you have religion. Because now it's not God-centered, it's man-centered. And so this is so important to keep the revival, to keep the fellowship, to keep the relationship so it's on fire, so it stays, uh, it stays fresh. There's got to be that balance where we know, yes, we're working hard, but we're going to keep the Lord every step of the way involved in this. It'd be like coming in and, and doing service and not spending a moment in prayer before we, we even do the service. Or, or not taking time to worship. You know how much work goes into preparing for a service like this? You have the media team, you have the sound team, you have all the sound checks, the practice before, and, and this worship team didn't just get good overnight. There was a, a process in which practice and work went into it. So I'm not taking anything away. That's important. You gotta work, you gotta put the work in. But to have the anointing, to have the favor, and the glory and the anointing that shifts and touches lives and breaks through barriers and tears down strongholds. And listen, people get saved, the worship has to be a part of it. I believe it comes from what's not being seen on stage, it's what's happening off stage that brings that revival. It's our personal intimacy with God. It's the times we're alone with the Lord where nobody sees. It's those times when we're seeking him and no one knows and we're in his word and we're connecting with him. Then when we get here, it looks so easy, but it's really not. It's just that we're flowing from a relationship with God. 
You see, when, you, when you're moving in that, in that dynamic, everything is flowing from an intimacy, and it's not forced. Listen, I know what it's like to force it. I know what it's like to try to push through and make things happen. And you know, God's telling you all the time, I don't want you to do that. You're like, no, Lord, just give it a little more time. Think it through, Lord. Trying to negotiate with God. Ever done that before? God, just, I'm going to wait on the Lord a little bit longer. Really, God already told you no, but you're like, no, he's the one for me. She's the one for me. I was like, no, they are not. I'm going to pray on it. We got a fast coming up. We're going to fast. I know if I just give God a little bit more time, he'll change his mind. (laughs) We got to keep a balance between the work and the worship. It would be like a husband or a father saying, listen, I provide for my family. I go to work every day. I bring home the money. I put food on the table. I pay the bills. Therefore, I've kind of done my job. I don't really need to be emotionally connected to my family. Does that make sense? Some of you have actually said that before, right? (laughs) Or you thought that. Well, I'm doing my job, man. I'm putting food on the table. She should just be happy. If your mentality is that, you're not going to be married very long. Because we can't substitute the work or the worship for the relationship. We've got to keep that balance. We've got to really take time to think that through. You know, and I'm so busy to wake up in the morning and get out of the door, get to my job, get to whatever I'm doing. Have we taken the time to talk to God first? Have we taken the time to really get before him and come on? And listen, with with technology today, it's not very hard. One click of the phone and you're in the word. God has made it so easy for us, but it's a willingness to slow down. And say, before I make these decisions, I'm going to get with God, man. I'm going to make sure that my relationship with God is good before I step into my day. Because by the grace of God and by the power of God is how we survive daily. That's the truth. I don't care how long you've been saved. You've been saved for 40, 50, 60 years. You still need God's power like I do every day. Because we have to keep the balance between the work and the worship. Are you still with me? Jesus said, listen, without me in John chapter 15, you can't bear any fruit. You can't. He was, I'm the, I'm the one that allows you to bear the fruit. Think about a few of these stories. Jesus' ministry for three years. And what did he do in the three-year period of time? He, like I said, he healed the blind. He raised the dead. He opened deaf ears. He did so many miracles. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there were so many things that he did that not even, if, if we recorded everything, there would be libraries full of books on things that he did. And the greatest thing he did, of course, is he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And he, of course, shed his blood and redeemed us back from a sin nature and eternal separation from God. And now we have relationship with God again. Thank you, right? Thank the Lord for that, that we're not destined to hell anymore, man. He has redeemed us back and we have eternity with him and to look forward to. And not only eternal life, but we have eternal life right now. But do you know that he didn't start his ministry till he was 30? There was 30 years prior to that. That we don't really know the preparation that went in for that three-year ministry. All we know is that within that 30-year time, the Bible says he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and favor with man. In other words, there was intimacy in his personal life with his father for those 30 years, for three years of ministry. Let's take Moses for a moment. You know, 40 years in Egypt, only to transition to 40 years in, in the desert to lead him to to be the leader 
of two million people out of Egypt and to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. Let's take King David for a moment. Here's a guy at 15 years old. He is anointed king. Samuel comes, anoints him at 15 years old. Yet he doesn't step into the kingship role that he was already anointed for till 15 years later. So pretend that time he got anointed as king at 15. For the next 15 years, all he's doing is hiding in caves, running from Saul, right? Dodging arrows, writing psalms, worshiping the Lord, spending time with his God. Listen, for 40 years, he steps in at the age of 30 to lead Israel, and for 40 years, he reigns. So what's your point, Pastor? My point is this, is that our public life, it determines the effectiveness on our private life. Our private life, listen, our private life will determine our public life, the effectivity of it. Are you with me? That effective life, that anointed life, that life you want to live that is anointed and effective and, and able to, to really bring about dynamic change in our community, in our world, and for our era and our time, it starts with our private lives, our intimacy with God. The impact of our public lives, I wrote this down, the impact of our public lives heavily, heavily relies on our private worship life. And I cannot express this enough. The importance of the church today, the work, yes, we need the work, but we need the worship more. We, we, we need the relationship that has to be grounded. That has to be, there, there has to be intact. You cannot substitute the work for the worship. There has to be intimacy with God. It has to be there. And you wanna know one, one way as an indicator to kind of see and kind of measure it out to see if you're, if you're really uh, letting the worship lead the way or the work is check your attitude. <laughs> That's one, if you really wanna know the indicator, kind of like the, the flag that tells you if you're, you know, they, the refs throw the yellow flag of, if you're penalized for going out of bounds or the play was incomplete or something. The way you kind of know in your life, in my life, how, if we're kind of out of bounds is check our attitude about what's going on in our lives. Have you ever had those days where, man, you're just irritated? There's been times where, and for no reason at all, I'm just bothered. I'm just bothered. I'm at home and my wife, nothing bad, just says something and I'm like, why, why, why are you asking me? <laughs> I'm driving and, and, and someone passes me along the side. No intention involved, but all of a sudden I feel bothered by this person passing me along the side. <laughs> I'm like offended by that because I, I almost feel like it's done deliberately. And so I speed up and, and then the chase is on, right? <laughs> but I know this. When my attitude is out of line, then I know I'm in the flesh, man, and I know I need to get with God. I gotta get back in the, in the prayer, into the word. Something, something has to shift here because I know it's in the flesh at this point. Your attitude is a great marker to let you know if you're in the flesh. It's like, you, you know, you, you do your devotional prayers up here and, and you see people coming up and do the prayer and the, the gentleman tonight did a great job and, and you start thinking, man, I never get asked to do prayer. How come I never get asked to do offering? How come they haven't invited me on the worship team yet? If, if that is your attitude, you're already out of the spirit, man. 
You're not even, you know, how come I haven't been asked to teach a Bible study yet? How come I haven't been, you know, asked to preach at a conference yet? How come I haven't, I mean, we can go on and on with that one, right? If your attitude's at that place, you're already in the flesh. It's time to get back into some worship. Because I notice when you're in worship, the flesh dies. When you're spending time with God and the presence of the Lord is in that room, wherever you are, your flesh cannot survive it. You get up and all of a sudden things are different. Maybe not the circumstance, but your attitude is. Maybe not that the thing hasn't changed yet. And, and who knows what God is doing in that thing. But I can promise you, your heart, your attitude, and your will to want to do God's will will be lined up. So, so, so Martha's like, hey, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister, you know, she, she's, uh, she's sitting here while I'm doing all the work. And, and, and Martha basically answered her own question. She says, doesn't it seem unfair? And, and, and if I was Jesus, would be like, you're absolutely right. It just seems that way. It just seems that way, but it's not truth. The truth is spending time with me in this moment is most important. And we have to be careful that we don't, we don't give that up. You know, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for one moment that we should not be the hardest workers. I believe the Christian should be the hardest worker on the planet. Seriously, they should be the hardest worker. Time and time again, we're taught in scripture and you, you can read it over and over again. Be diligent, be persistent, don't give up, don't quit. Paul talked about that all the time. He says, do everything you do as you're working onto the Lord. Do with all your heart. So it's not a work issue, it's a heart issue. And so when it comes down to the work and the worship, let's make sure we keep a balance to know why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing it for him. I love what Pastor Isaac said. He said, listen, we're, you know, when you follow us, we're, we're not here promoting a, 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 you know, a personality. We're not promoting you know, a, a brand. We're promoting Christ, the gospel. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do. We stand up here and preach the gospel. You have amazing worship. There's connection. There's fellowship. Why? We do everything we do for one reason. We want to promote a relationship with God. If we can get you to come to God and make that right, then we've done our job. So listen, relationship must be balanced by the work and the worship. Listen, it also must be tempered by relying on his timing and not our tantrums. How many of you write that down? Fast forward ahead, Jesus is on a, a, a ministry campaign and, and uh, he gets word that, that Lazarus is sick. Now remember, this is a family he loves. This is a family that he, he truly loves. There's, there's relationship here, there's connection. And so he gets word that, that Lazarus is sick. And the Bible says when he gets the word, he tells his disciples, hey, listen, we're going to wait an extra two days and then we'll go back. And he tells his disciples, this has happened so that the glory of God can be manifested. So he waits two days. So, so over here on this side where the, the, the ministry campaign is going on, you have Jesus, you have his disciples, miracles are taking place, things are going on. On this side of town, you have a family that's grieving. You have a family that's grieving because of the loss of a loved one. Now, I don't think I, I need to really reiterate a lot of that, you know, in the season that we're in with the, you know, the pandemic. I'm, there's many that we've lost loved ones during this pandemic. We know people that have lost loved ones. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a rough 2020. And so on this side, you have a family that's in, in mourning. They're grieving. And on the other side of town, you have Jesus who, who knows what he's doing, who's actually taking the time to, wait for for the right moment to come back at the right timing so that God can move in a way to bring about many to believe 
and who he is. But Martha and Mary could not see that. They couldn't see it, which I don't blame them. Emotions are riding high. You know, there's a lot of frustration, hurt, disappointment. Jesus is our friend. He's not here. What's going on? What's happening? So Jesus finally comes back into Bethany where they are. And the Bible says that, that Mary doesn't even come out of the house. She's bothered. And then you got Martha, who's the more vocal one. She's like, I'll go talk to him. Opens the door. <laughs> Martha's like, you go. You go, girl. I'm not, I'm not going to mess with that. You, she, I'll, t- I'll take care. Let me talk to Jesus. She runs out to Jesus and says, Lord, have you had been here? And in John chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, Lord, only if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, now let me just stop here for a moment. Mar- Martha is not just giving Jesus some information here. And she's not just bringing him up to speed on the situation. He already knows what's going on. She is implying that is Jesus' fault. That is, a, that is a, a tough statement. Can you imagine going to a hospital to pray for someone, a family member, a friend, the person passes away, you get there and they look at you and say, it's your fault they passed away. You're, if you had been here on time, you know, if you had gotten a watch, been here on time, they'd be still alive. My response would have been, well, wait a minute, you can't put this on me. I, I, didn't, I didn't get them sick. I'm just here to pray with them, right? You started, we started to defend ourselves. Because in that moment, Martha couldn't see anything else. She could not imagine that somebody that loved her so much, loved their family so much, would take their time and not get back at the right time to heal their brother. But what Mary and Martha did not know is the conversation that was going on. They they could not see what God was doing behind the scenes. Can somebody say amen? And if we can grab anything from that story, we know that just because at face value, what we're going through right now in our lives may not seem nice, it may not seem pretty, it may not seem like things are going the way we think they should, but I gotta tell you something, God's working behind the scenes. He sees something you don't. He knows something we don't know. And God's timing is always perfect. It always is. In our lives, we can complain, we can throw tantrums, we can get upset, but at the end of the day, God knows the right time to do what he is gonna do. Can I get an amen? Martha and Mary didn't have all the facts. John 11, 21 and 22, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. She's throwing a fit. She's having a tantrum. Now, now, let, let me... Let me talk about this for a moment. God can handle our honest prayers. Listen, as a matter of fact, we're taught in scripture to bring all your cares before God. God's not offended by the honest prayers. The, the, you know, we took it, we look at Job, he tore his clothes and he beat his chest, shaved his head and said, Lord, I naked, I came into this world naked, I'm going out. We, we know there was a deep hurt and frustration in that moment of prayer. Uh, we can go on and on. Different Jesus in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so God is not offended or he's not taken back by honest prayers. But there's a difference between the honest prayers and just throwing a tantrum and really talking to God or responding in a way that says, I really have no intention of changing 
unless I get my way. So in other words, I want to vent to God. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I just want to vent so I can get what I want. You ever seen your kids throw a tantrum before? How many have kids? Raise your hand. Man, the whole church, all right. Your kids throw tantrums. Why are they throwing a tantrum? They're throwing a tantrum because they didn't get their way. Whatever it is. I got grandkids, man, now. Five grandkids. I love my grandkids. Yeah, I'm a grandpa, man. Yes, for all the grandpas in the house. Yes. And I've seen my grandkids <laughs> throw tantrums. As a matter of fact, my kids just throw tantrums. You know my daughter, Shatera? She's probably, maybe she's watching right now. Uh, some of you know, how many know my daughter, Shatera? Amazing young lady. Do you know that in this nursery here, she used to throw tantrums? And you know one of the tantrums she used to do, one of the things that, how she would respond, she would bite kids. Right, Sister Letty? She would bite kids. Whenever she didn't get her way, someone took a toy from her, she didn't get the toy she wanted, she would actually lash out and bite the kid, man. And, and sadly to say, my daughter was banned from the nursery. She literally got banned from the nursery. My wife took her one day to the nursery and Sister Lady said, nah, uh nope, not gonna happen. As a matter of fact, they put a picture outside the door and said, this little girl is not allowed anywhere near the children's facility. She's gotta stay away, keep her away. Throwing a tantrum. And, and, and you know, the great thing about kids now, you go to the store, you see kids throwing their tantrums and the awesome thing is now we have phones so we can record it, right? You know that before? If I see a kid throwing a tantrum, I'm recording it, it's going on my story. I'm just telling you right now, it's, it's gonna get out there. But adults throw tantrums too. Been in a re- remember, remember years, years and years ago when we used to be able to go to a restaurant and eat? Remember those good old days, man, when you can actually go in a restaurant, sit down, the bread rolls would come. You have the bread rolls. Uh, it, you know why I'm hungry? That's what it is. I'm this fast, so I'm talking about bread rolls. And f- but you remember those good old days when we go into a restaurant? Remember when you would go and you would order and the food would not come on time, and you throw fit. I'm not. I'm not giving the waiter a tip. You know I can't believe this has happened. I'm never eating here again. One of my favorites is this: is I'm not even hungry anymore. You're hungry, man. You just you're throwing a fit. In my experiences throughout the years, fits don't get God's attention. Trusting in his timing does. If you really want to get God's attention, the fits, if we're going to just complain and murmur and just throw all kinds of accusations out there, not getting all the facts and just complain to God, it, 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 what really gets God's attention when you say, listen, I may not understand, but I trust you, God. I trust you. Look at the next verse here. Martha said, Lord, if you'd only been here, there's the tantrum. But verse 22, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So yeah, I feel this way and I feel like you were late, Lord. But the reality is, I know that you're here now and whatever you ask, it'll come to pass. The attitude shifted. It went from a tantrum now to trust. Yeah, you know what? I may not like it, but you're here now and I trust God. I trust you. Whatever you say will happen because whatever you say, the Father will do. Because I trust in your timing. Come on, we, we going back and even through my life and there's been a lot of questions that I've had throughout my lifetime. 
You probably have, have had the same. You've questioned a lot of things that have happened in your life and maybe in your family. And, you know, maybe in 2020, a lot of things happened that you did not expect. And we can question it. And, and again, in our thoughts, it's, 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 it's a normal response to question what God is doing. But we have to always fall back on trusting his timing. You know why you're waiting so long? Because God's got something special for you. The reason why it's taking so long, God's preparing it for you. Jesus said, listen, I go to prepare a place and where I go, listen, I'm going to bring you with me one day. The reason why we're still here, because our place ain't ready yet. And when it's ready, we'll go home to be with Jesus. Amen. Come on. Let me close with this. The worship team can come up now. Let me close with this. The concept of keeping the relationship. Remember, you got to keep a balance between the work and the worship, man. Make, make sure the worship takes priority over the work. Make sure the relationship is always taking a, a priority over the work. And then always push and rely on the timing. Trust God's timing for what he's doing. Trust it. The, ta the tantrums will not help you. They won't. They won't help me. They don't help us. Because tantrums lead to gossip, it leads to complaining, it leads to murmuring. That's what happened in the wilderness with Israel. All they did was throw tantrums all day. Instead of really going before the Lord and talking to him and laying it out and an openness to really change. A tantrum doesn't want to change, it just wants what it wants. And so when we say God and we go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want what you want from me. I want what you have for me. And I'm willing to change any way you want me to change. Anything you want me to do, I will do it to attain it because I want your will over my will. That's really going before the Lord. Then lastly, and, I, and I'll just close with this real simple here. You got to keep, you got to keep vocalizing. We must keep vocalizing our faith over our fears. We have to. You know, she, she made a huge statement here. She says, even now I know my, my brother's dead. My, my emotions are running high. We're, we're all bothered by what's happened. You got here late. You know, we got the word out. We thought in enough time, but you're here now. And now that you're here, God, Jesus, we know you can do it. We know you can do it. We know that you have the power to do anything you say you can do. In John chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says this. She told Jesus, I have always believed that you are the Messiah the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I have no doubt that you can do this. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. Part of the walk of faith is the verbalizing of our faith. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. What we speak and what we declare, it becomes our reality. And so in that moment, even though emotions were saying one thing, her faith was saying another. And, and that keeps, listen, that keeps the fire in the relationship going with the Lord. The Lord is excited over faith, right? Come on, man. You look at stories in the Bible where faith was activated. Jesus, it got Jesus' attention, right? The, the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment. She's like, who, he's like, who touched me? I mean, we get his attention through faith and proclaiming faith. And, and, and you can go on and on in stories in the Bible that, that talk about the faith that we need to have to walk in this life. I mean, go back to Joshua. God told Joshua, listen, Joshua, you're about to step into some, some unfamiliar territory. And I want you to listen. I want you to be strong and courageous. Because as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Having faith and vocalizing faith, we're not being ignorant to the real danger we're just saying yeah we know it's there but our God is bigger 
We know it's there. We know the challenge is there. We're not denying that. We're not saying that it's not there. We're just saying that we have the power by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working in us to overcome it. Declaring faith. Paul told Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. He's given you the power and the love and the strength. He's given it all to you to do what you've been asked by God to do. And in our lives today and in this world today, especially right now, in our day, in our age, in our culture, and what's going on in the political realm, what's going on in our communities, in our cities, the church needs to rise up in faith like never before. Not only, listen, not only in church, everybody's faith is alive in church, right? Everybody's faith is active in church. The worship is going, the preaching is going, the AC is going, thank God, right? We have the refreshments, Every, everything is, our faith is elevated in church. But can you raise that level of faith outside the four corners of this building? That's what the world needs. It needs to take what we have in here and put it to the streets. And when we begin to vocalize our faith and what we believe and what we stand for and who we believe in, that's when lives are changed. Come on. That's when we break through barriers. That's when, listen, properties are changed and lives are changed and people are changed and communities are changed because we vocalize over the fear. Listen, there's no doubt that COVID is real. I had it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to ask to raise your hand who had COVID in here. Don't even raise your hand. I'm afraid the whole building is going to raise their hand. I had it. Put me in the hospital. I was in the hospital for seven days. I mean, it, it hit me good. Now, if you know my story, I, I'm a kidney transplant patient. Years back, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney disease. And um, it was bad. And and uh, doctor gave me five years. Said, you listen, you need a transplant. You need, you know, or dialysis. And I was in my 20s, late 20s. And uh, you guys, most of you know the story. And my wife tested, or she was a perfect match for me. So my wife in 2008, October 30, 2008, donated a kidney. Of course, saved my life. Powerful. I, I Going on 12 years, October 30th so was 12 years that I had the transplant. And so far, man, everything is, everything's good, man. Thank God, right? Transplant went well. Well, when I got COVID, one of the reasons why they hospitalized me is because my kidney level started fluctuating. And so actually my kidneys level started declining. And um, so they admitted me right away. And you know, like everybody else, they, they hooked me up to the IVs, gave me the remdesivir treatment and uh, protein boosters for my kidneys and uh, you know IV fluids and all that to, to help my body kind of fight this thing back. And by the grace of God, it, 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 it worked, right? And God helped me in all the prayers and... But I remember going, can I have a couple more minutes? I'm, I'm going like a little bit over here. Give me, give me, and then we're going to pray together and I'm going to let you go. Um, going to the hospital that day, I, I remember I, I was, I had fever for like five days and was, was wrestling with this thing. And I, I remember telling my, calling my wife. Now, a minute I found out, I isolated myself. I went and stayed at a hotel because my wife didn't catch it. She eventually caught it later, but she didn't get it from me. So uh, <laughs> that's the truth. Got to throw that out there, man. Um, so I, I isolated myself and I remember calling her up and said, listen, I, I got to go to the hospital, man. I can't break this fever, man. I'm getting more weaker. It's just getting hard. She goes, okay. And so I remember going before I went to the hospital, I went to wash my car 
I don't know why. I just felt like I needed to clean my car before I went to the hospital. But as I'm washing my car, the thought passed through my head because I know, listen, we've lost, we lost souls to this thing. And I am the one that kind of falls under the high risk category because of the transplant. My immune system's lowered because I take immune suppressants. And um, I remember I'm washing my car and I'm thinking to myself, this could be it. Like, I can go in and not come out. And can I, can I just be honest? In that moment, there was no fear. There was absolutely no fear. I mean, there was a little bit of heartfelt. I mean, and I shed a few tears because, I, of course, my family, and I don't want them to, you know, be alone, and I, I, you know, I want them to be taken care of. But when I went there, I drove there, and I felt the presence of God with me that, that listen, now, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, God has got me. I, I wasn't denying that I had it. The test said I had it. Faith is, in not, is, is, is not denying reality. Faith is just simply saying, I know that I have it, but I believe that God can heal me and God can still move and God can use this situation to better me. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God can take anything we're facing in our life and use it for our good. And I want to tell you, church, right now, never let your faith die to anything that you're facing, man. Let it rise above it. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Let our faith be active. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.